2: Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have Before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on it, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the reality management worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, or testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. Alternatively, you can send me an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. If we get a note or question or comment from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then as time allows, we will send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your input or feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And we appreciate it when you let us know how this is landing for you, what would benefit you most in terms of where we take the show and how we proceed and or uh, if you've had success in applying the worksheets to a difficult emotion in your life or if you've got questions about how you might apply the worksheets. And the Reality Management Worksheet is just one of a whole host of tools that Michael and Jeannie make available all through that website at why a g a i n dot o r g and so there are tools like the targeted journaling that Michael calls the mind shifter tool. There's a tool like the three early memories of conflict, and there's a tool like the mind goal management sheet. all of these are available free on that web page after you click on the word start here, then you click on the word worksheets and it'll take you to where you can download these and if you have questions about how to use any of them you can listen to the shows archived shows you can click around the website Jeannie has an introductory video about how to use the website and um, that's got all kinds of tips in it for getting the most benefit from these tools in the shortest period of time. We also have a whole series of files of of shows where someone has been stepped through the worksheet process, and if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as an active tutorial for you to help you. You know, If you don't have the benefit of uh, a support group in your area or you don't uh, choose to join us for the... Tuesday or Thursday night support groups, you can still get wonderful, absolutely free coaching on how to use these tools by um, listening to these shows from the archives and or tapping into the shows that have been singled out, curated out as uh, highlight shows. There are also some of those on the website mindshiftersacademy.org. dot org, and um, I've got a page there that's listed as audio files and uh, best of audio files, and the shows that are listed as um, way of mastery with commentary, and so all kinds of things that we're doing with the sole intention of being of service and specifically of service in assisting people in using and and improving their ability to get results from these powerful tools. So if there's any way we can support you in doing that, please let us know. I am... um, grateful to those who joined us in our support group last night, and uh, we watched or listened to the podcast from Michael Singer. I believe the podcast was season three, episode five that I had recommended. I think it was last Friday was the first time I recommended it on this show. And um it stirred up plenty. Um, some people were very, very stuck on hearing that he was contradicting himself and that there's no way that any of this can happen. And um other people really enjoyed it, so That's one of the things we notice when we have a support group is that people, all of us, all the time, are creating our perception. We are literally... very, very actively we are creating whatever pictures show up in our mind, whatever sights and sounds register to us as though they're making sense or not making sense. It is not, this whole thing that we think of as perception that we've been trained to think of as really passive is not passive. It's a very active process. And that's why we can have four, five, six people on a support group either in person or on the video call and we all think we're listening to the same recording or watching the same video and yet in truth we're not each each one of us is creating our own experience of listening to or watching that input and um the antenna of our ear or the antennas of our eyes are simply receiving impressions. They're receiving signals. They're receiving energy vibrations of one form or another. And that's resonating with things we already think we know and or believe or past experiences or traumas we've had. And that's an active part of the creation of whatever image or impressions of words that show up in our mind. And that's why, in truth, when we have a support group and five or six people are there, no two people are watching the same video or hearing the same message. It's just the way things are. And if we aren't willing to step up and acknowledge the way things actually are then we can't do anything to work with them we can't change it for the better we can't experience it more accurately we can't communicate effectively with each other we can't resolve our differences we can't expand our own personal understanding if we're not willing and or capable of accepting the truth of what is the fact of the matter is, two or three of us watch the same video, there's no guarantee, even if we talk about it and we seem to be agreeing on the words, there's no guarantee that it's actually landing the same way in any one of us. We have a tremendous range uh, as people uh, on various dimensions. So one dimension that we have as people is our ability to conceptualize things in just the simple, logical, linear, seemingly concrete way. Can you tell the difference between this color and that color? Have you been programmed to believe there are absolutes that are absolute right, absolute wrong? There's an absolute good and an absolute bad. There's an absolute up and an absolute down. If you've been programmed to think in that simple, categorical, binary way, on, off, good, bad, right, wrong, up, down, love, hate, etc., as though these are opposites, then you have one dimension of our thought and perception. And some people are just really, really locked in to thinking in terms of absolutes and opposites and extremes. And others of us have the ability, more or less on a scale, to be flexible and to say there's a gray area and to say this may not always be the case, etc. And their mind will allow them to play with those ideas. Well, what if there is no absolute up or down. What if I was on a space station and this thing is always spinning and as it spins, it creates this um, kind of an artificial form of gravity. Well, if I'm out there in the space station, where is up and where is down? Is up toward the sun and down away from the sun, right? We we're here on the Earth, and so we think up and down because we've got the center of the Earth, and we've got uh, moving away from the center of the Earth. But it's not an absolute thing, unless there's a human mind that's going to label it as such and catalog it as such, and then stick to that definition. And so some of us are much more able to tolerate and play with conceptual ideas that are completely theoretical and others of us um, bristle at the thought that there's any flexibility in that because we somehow or another perhaps we're generating comfort from the idea that there is a right and there is a wrong and i know which is which and any thought that that I may not know or that there may not be an absolute one way or the other is a, a pattern that I use to generate fear or upset or um, you know a, a sense of lack of safety, etc. And others of us, if we seem like a fish in water, we swim with that, we play with those ideas, we like the fact that everything is up in the air and flexible and it might turn out this way and it might turn out that way, all of those factors are going to affect somebody and the perception that a person creates as they live their life, as they listen to a video, as they watch um, a, a video or listen to an audio file, as they're moving through life experiencing somebody honk their horn in traffic somebody experiences the horn as a friendly warning somebody else experiences it as a threat or as a a, you know um, he might as well flip me the bird or, or sworn at me or called me a name it's all about the interpretations that we choose and place on these events that's what's actively creating our perception not the event itself and if i can see that for myself if i can learn to observe that directly for myself i get to create an entirely different experience of life and i have the i would say an increased probability that i'll be able to communicate effectively with other people so what might be my definition for communicating effectively. I'll use the definition that comes from Robert Bolton's book, People Skills. He says, for his purposes, we'll say we have an effective communication when the intention in my mind matches the impression that's received by the person I hope to communicate with. And if that doesn't happen, there's not been an effective communication. If I can't actively verify that what I intended to communicate is what was actually received by the other person, then I can't verify whether or not there's been an effective communication. And that was one of the things we ran into in the support group last night, is basically going around and around in circles because of a few key words. And um, if we can't agree on the definition of those words, or if the words are, are really pointing at an experience of life that can't really be defined in words, then our ability to communicate is quite limited. And it gets even more limited when we stick to the idea that we want to be right and we want to decide what's right and what's wrong. And one of the the key understandings for me in this kind of very deep practical spiritual work is the understanding that... We really don't know much of anything, and whatever we think we know is either only partially true or perhaps even completely false. And so it isn't really useful to argue with anybody about who's right or who's wrong related to definitions and words. And it's only useful as far as I've ever been able to determine for myself and others to live into an experience and let your life experience be what teaches you be what guides you i i found myself thinking a lot after group last night about the the the, the critical importance of doing away with the teacher and focusing only on the teaching Because as humans, what we tend to do is idealize, put people on pedestals, etc. And whenever we do that related to a very important teaching, what we're doing is we're minimizing the teaching in favor of uh, maximizing the focus on the teacher. And so, um, you know, Yeshua was quoted in the scriptures as saying, if I come in my own name, I'm a false prophet. So even the great teachers would say, it's not about me. I didn't originate this stuff. I didn't discover this stuff. Yeshua didn't discover this stuff. Buddha didn't discover this stuff. This stuff has been there. I think Michael Singer last night on the on the audio we were listening to was talking about how there are they're very limited but there are true deep teachings on this planet but they've been around since time immemorial they've been around for you know thousands of years but they are not what our cultures teach us they are not common and the reason for that is because they're not based on the physical i remember when we we exposed uh, we uh, watched in our uh, support group the um the video on the condor flies to the eagle and one of the primary things i took from that lecture about the mayan calendar was the realization that this artist and this um i think he was a physicist hard scientists, they got together and they compared their notes about the Mayan culture and the Mayan calendar. And one of the things that they talked about was how the the most important thing about any culture is its calendar. Because the entire culture and civilization is driven by that calendar. And he talks about how there have been a lot of different cultures and calendars over time in the millennium on this planet and many of them did not focus just on the rotation of our planet around the physical planet around the physical structure of the sun. Many of those other calendars, we're tracking other energies, more subtle energies, not just physical energies. But what we've landed on, what's been basically universally adopted on this planet right now, is one calendar that is only about how long it takes our physical planet to move around our physical son. And so the entire culture, all of these cultures, more or less, because they're centered on the calendar, they're focused only on the physical. And of course, these spiritual teachings are at their heart trying to get us to understand that we are not just a physical body. As a matter of fact, our true nature is not the physical body. Our true nature is the consciousness that gives rise to the physical body, the consciousness that can step back and observe the object of the body and the object of someone else's body and the object of nature itself. Well, in, in the way that we put together our sense of um, logic, which is, again, just a human creation, in the way we've done that we talk a lot about how if i am observing something i cannot be the same as what i am observing that just by the definition we're using observer and observed have to be separate now as always we talk about how when i observe something i affect it in another way i'm not separate from it but i can't i can't be in observation of something and at the same time be that thing. This self-referencing observation isn't part of our experience. And so my my true self, my consciousness, my soul, my light, whatever you want to call it, is not the physical body. So... So where do we go? Round and round and round and round. I keep trying to bring it back to just the most practical of things. If I'm upset, if I'm in pain, I'm in error. That's a line from one of Dr. Michael Rice's worksheets that was the primary worksheet when I first engaged this work about 20 years ago. And um, now on the worksheet it's a little bit rephrased and it says, If I'm in pain, my thoughts are in error. So, you know, um, one of the things that Michael Singer was talking about last night is that it's possible to live a life where you're always in the bliss state, where you're welcoming of everything that happens, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that you have a connection to a bliss state that transcends whatever your conscious logical mind might be able to generate and that that was part of the that was part of the discussion that got very uh contentious last night because we we weren't really agreeing on the words and we were talking about a seeming contradiction where in Michael Singer's um uh, presentation he doesn't view it as a contradiction and he says there is this capacity to experience yourself and the flow of life energy that is not driven by or corrupted by your mind and your thought process and it is not driven by or corrupted by your heart which is again some part of your experience it is not who you are. You are not just your thoughts and you are not just your heart, according to the teaching he was giving last night. And some people are having a difficult time imagining how that could be practical, how that could be something they could use to improve their experience of life. And I just keep trying to come back to, if you're having a hard time imagining it, stop trying to imagine it and just use whatever tools you find useful to dismantle the upset, the tension, the judgment, the contraction, the constriction that you experience in your life and watch what unfolds. Michael Singer might be wrong. There may not be any bliss state that's available after I dismantle the negativity that my mind is creating. But the only way for me to find that out is to dismantle the negativity that my mind is creating and then have an experience of what's left. We even had people, I I found it quite humorous last night, we had some people in the group saying, well, how could this guy have started this spiritual journey in his 20s. You know, that's too young. What prompted him to have that in his 20s? And I was kind of chuckling because I believe just yesterday I was reading some things from writing I was doing in my early and mid-20s and full of questions of soul-searching and what is my, you know, am I making my life be of value and what would it take for my life to be of value and am I benefiting people or hurting people and what's the true nature of you know my purpose and so there are those of us who in our sometimes in the or in the later single digit ages and sometimes in our mid teens we start to ask questions like this in a rather pointed way. And um, my personal experience has been uh, it's never really stopped. It's just always there. It's this kind of a, you know, the the double-edged sword of the gift and the burden. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1, let us know if this is making any sense to you. What are your comments? What are your thoughts? How can we be of service? Where should we take the conversation next, now that we have finished reading Diedrich Wolzak's work? Are you using that worksheet? Is it of use to you? 610,
0: Susan. Hi, Dr. Tim. Um, You have listened to the Michael Singer podcast a few times, right? Correct. I only listened once early this morning. Totally loved it. It took him a long time to get to the actual point where he explains how could do this finding of the bliss in yourself and the joy. And I wondered if you could, I'm being lazy because I'm going to go look back and find that place, but if you remember it and can tell us what he said about how to get there, I would love it.
2: Well, it's all all about, um, you know, Michael Rice's version of it is cancel the goal. It's all about letting go at one point he was talking michael singer last night was talking about the 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 problem with physics to have any power in physics you've got to have a push and a pull. you've got to have the positive right. and the negative right you gotta mm-hmm. have the and dale ellen hoffman in his talk sometimes will hold up a battery and say so here's the positive end of the battery and the negative end of the battery if i cut this thing in half then what happens? If I was able to get have, rid of yeah. the, the negative, would I have just the power of the positive? No. You don't have anything. You don't have a flow. You don't have any power. You don't have any energy. And so Michael Singer was talking about that thing and saying, imagine a tug of war, um, and people tugging on a, on a rope the only way there's anything going on there is both the push and the pull, both the pull in one direction and the pull in the other direction. So the way to get into that, accessing that bliss state he was talking about is quit fighting against the flow of life. Mm -hmm. Just learn to soften and relax and allow the experience of life.
0: Mm -hmm. We... I have a man in our support group which meets on Wednesday morning just before this radio show who talks about staying in the presence, capital P. And I told all of my support group members that I have listened to this podcast and I've since sent the link to each of them to listen to. He has a slightly different take, he wouldn't say that he's in bliss all the time, but that he, if he's conscious and aware, he can go back there. He doesn't say that he's living in joy and bliss all the time, but he does have a very different... For instance, we talked about the Middle East quite a lot. He said, it all always comes back... To his settling deeply, deeply into his self, capital S, and feeling the presence, and then he can be most effective once he gets there. But he sometimes has to find his way there. It isn't always so easy, especially if there's been some outside threat or stimulation like a war. So, either Michael Singer is Maybe he's talking about the ideal state. I don't remember whether he said he could stay in that state of joy and um, bliss or whatever it was all the time. And I can see why people might have objected if he said he can or even that it's possible. I'd love to think it is possible. but And another member of the group who had not heard the podcast but has been listening to this man who... Often, we often ask him, tell us again, tell us some more about what it's like for you day to day because he's got, he's in his 80s, he's got health problems that are physically challenging and painful. Uh, He's limited in how much he can walk because of problems with his feet. And yet he, and he lives alone. He manages to live in this state or close to it much of the time and it isn't as if he's going around bragging about it he just says it's possible and it's much nicer to live there than other places
2: i would Um, say that's exactly the same as michael singer even at one point in the talk last night he said so you know Anybody have aches and pains? Anybody have things go wrong that they don't like? Him? He says, I'm just checking with the audience if you have that because I want to make sure I didn't get a broken body, right? Because he has that in him. He mm-hmm. has hopes yeah. and fears. He yeah. has stuck points. He has physical yeah. challenges. It, there's, there's nothing in Michael Singer's work that's saying, I am this great and mighty person, and you should be mm-hmm. like me. Yeah. Although I routinely hear people take that position they're either idolizing him or trying to knock him down i want to know what he's like can he do that has he who cares if anybody else in the entire universe can do who cares if anybody else does it can you do it can you make your life a little bit better can you find an irritation a stuck point a situation that you've chosen to interpret negatively so now you're generating this anger and fear and sadness and throwing that out into the world as opposed to can you find a different interpretation for that situation shift your energy to the bliss state the love the awareness of your true nature is love as michael would say michael rice would say and start generating and extending that out into the world that's all that Mm -hmm. we're talking about we're not talking about whether or not most of us teaching this stuff are not talking about be like Yeshua, be like Buddha, be like this or that. They're talking about going inside your own consciousness and learning and exploring and finding out what you might be doing to obscure your awareness of this life force extending through you. And when you tap into that awareness of that life force extending through you, your experience is going to be different. Is it going to be bliss? I don't know. You may not use the word bliss.
3: You Mm -hmm. might have that
2: experience and say, it's the nothingness. You might have that experience Mm -hmm. and say, it's the floating state. You may not call Mm -hmm. it bliss. You may not call it joy. You may not call it happiness. But the words are irrelevant the experience and the ability to extend loving energy rather than any other negative more negative energy any more constricting energy that's the point of these teachings not the personality not whether or not anybody else can do it and it's not it's not a contest i'm doing it better than anybody else remember, remember the story about the people fighting over whose ego was the smallest <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i don't <laughs> I can imagine what a fight that
2: would be. Well, but I told the story of this image that came to me when I was at Heartland the third or fourth time I went there, and all these people were talking about, this one Native American gentleman kept me up for like 45 minutes late one night talking about how he has no ego, but Michael Rice has this huge ego, and the (laughs) next morning I had that image of showing up at the Heart Center and having you know, the, one of the buildings next to it where the windows are getting smashed out and there's fighting and screaming and things are being thrown around. And we we, we asked Jeannie, Jeannie, what's going on? She says, oh, don't worry, it's nothing. They just got one of those new machines that measures ego and they're having a discussion about who's the smaller.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, you know, you said in your discussion group last night that <clears throat> people came – to the table with very different takes on what they had heard. And I'm telling you, I thought Michael Singer was saying, it is possible to live in this state of joy and bliss 24-7. Well, not exactly his words, but I got the feeling, oh, my gosh, this could be done. And then, of course, I'm trying to find the answer how to do it. And he gives us this relatively short, Explanation which is useful, but I, I need to hear it a few more times. So you were talking about the tug of war rope, that's good. Letting, well, but letting but go. it
2: letting go He's not saying that it is a switch you throw. He's saying mm-hmm. you need to practice. Yeah. In he other does talks say that. He, Yeah, in other talks he, he has he says, So you're driving in your car and somebody comes up and tailgates you and you notice attention. Practice letting go. Letting go of the tension, Mm -hmm. letting go of the judgment. Michael Rice would say practice canceling the goal. It's all the same kind of thing. Soften, Mm -hmm. breathe, and allow. Don't let the interpretation you choose for the present moment life event be one that generates negativity without noticing it and choosing differently.
0: And move into the right lane and watch the person go up to the next guy and tailgate
2: them. I know, I heard no, what you said, Dr. No, it, it has nothing <laughs> to do with any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just had to
0: say, because that's what I do. I find situations like that very stressful, immediately stressful, and I get out of the way as fast as I can and watch them go do it to the next guy in the lane. But right, I know, but I'm that, getting...
2: <laughs> but, but, but what you're doing there is you're labeling it as stressful. And the point yes. of this teaching, whether it's Michael Singer or Guy Finley or Michael Rice, is the situation is not stressful. The interpretation yeah. you place on it, the meaning you give it, the mind energy you pour into a, a pattern that says this is bad or wrong or dangerous, or that's what generates the experience you have internally that you call stress. But nothing exactly. about the outside circumstance is generating that. That's a
0: tough one. I agree with you. But to be put to that test right away when I'm just starting, that's too hard of a test. Yes, I get your point. I do. That's good. Another thing that happened in our group was it was really a wonderful group because one of the members said how much upset she had been over reading the papers and watching the news and all that. And she said a prayer, and she got an answer, which is go inside yourself, find all the places of tension. I'm paraphrasing. She said it much better than that. Find all the places where you're not at peace and start settling with those. Pay attention to those. Then you'll be ready to face the world or whatever you're going to face. Well, I that's, thought that was so the, wonderful.
2: That's the a- actual essence of all of these teachings. Mm. It's all an inside job. Mm-hmm. Go and find the place within yourself that you're creating anything less than the direct experience of yourself as love or the creative mm. energy expressing in form. And when you remove that, Way of Mastery and Course in Miracles say this, you don't need to create love, you don't need to go out and search for love. All you need to do is search for, find, and remove the barriers to experiencing yourself as love. It's already mm-hmm. in there. It's what you're made of. Right? What you're That's looking for when work. you say you want love is what's looking. You are love. You come mm-hmm. from love. You're made of love. You are love. Everything else is false. I say that at the end of almost every podcast I and know. blog post. I
0: know. Well... It's good to hear it again.
2: Well, and to hear it okay. in this context, right? That's because it, yeah. it, it's 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 a connection to the teaching from the Course in Miracles that says you you don't need to, you can't create love. You don't need to go looking for it. This work, Course in Miracles, and the Way of Mastery, is about recognizing that all you truly need to do is go inside yourself and find all of the barriers to experiencing yourself as your true nature, identify them, and remove them. See them as false, and they lose their power over you, is another way to say it. Mm -hmm. Good. Thanks. Well, you're quite welcome and deserving. I... um, I just, I, I think one of the more important things to come out of, you know, last night's group and this discussion today is the idea that it's all an inside job and your your salvation is an inside job, right? Mm-hmm. If you're looking to anyone or anything outside of you, Yeshua, Buddha, Vishnu, you're looking outside of yourself, you're mm-hmm. not going to get what you need. Because you already have everything you need. You're whole and complete inside yourself. And there's this internal connection to that higher level of wisdom that isn't contained in any individual or being or teacher. It's just available in the flow of life. But if you're going and looking for it from a book or from a teacher or from some idol that you have you you can't ever find it. Mm. The one story from The Way of Mastery says, you're like the person who has the world's most wonderful gem and you got worried that you might lose it, so you hid it in one of your many, many pockets. And then you forgot you put it in one of your own pockets and you go searching the world to to find it. hmm
0: yeah, there's a similar story in the Hindu tradition about a musk ox who's searching everywhere for the for the musk, and he realizes it's right in his own navel.
2: <laughs> Same right. idea. It's his own, it's his own scent, right? It's an, it's a universal teaching. That's why Michael Singer was saying in his talk last night. He says it in a variety of his talks. These teachings have been around forever.
0: Mm -hmm. There
2: are these teachings. There are these pure, deeply practical teachings. And they don't belong to anyone. They were never Mm -hmm. created by any human. They weren't created by some human-like God figure. It's just the way things work. And the awareness of how they work derived from, you know, direct observation of life derived by divine inspiration is available to everyone mm-hmm. and one of the important things you can do is break the cycle of looking outside of yourself and practice turning inside and asking asking your own mm-hmm. innate connection to show you
0: mhm that's good that's it.
2: And, and the and the other thing is that it's not going to show you in a way that your conscious, logical mind is going to be able to figure it out. That's one of the most important things in all of this work is that trap of I'm going to figure it out. You know, in my work as a therapist, I have the the blessing to be working with quite a few people, at least in this stage of my career, who are very bright intellectually. And, boy, mm-hmm. you have never seen people more stuck than when they're near genius intellect and they've got an emotional issue going because they keep relying on their intellect to try and fix the problem and it just gets worse and worse and worse
0: yeah
2: so what's the answer well the answer is to soften and breathe and ask to be shown from some source other than that figure it out part of my mind And to develop an actual practice. What were you talking about with your novenas and your six mm-hmm. times a day? With your, that's just a practice, right? That's not, there's no magic in that. But if you develop that practice and you keep going to it as an active you know, stepping into a practice you're communicating to the fearful part of your mind that you really do want to see what it's hiding from you. You really do have the belief that you can handle it. And if you act in that way long enough, those actions speak louder than your words, and eventually the fearful part of your mind will get the message, okay, Tim really does want to see what he's been hiding from himself for Mm -hmm. these decades, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, that Tesla Novena, he suggests you do intentions for yourself. And I've been doing those, but I've also been doing them for two of my grandsons. And my son, hoping that that positive affirmation will have an influence on them, will actually help break up some of the, the painful things they're going through and feeling I hope it isn't just for us.
2: You hope it what?
0: It isn't just for us. That I? Okay, that no stop.
2: Stop, I trust. stop. What? Stop. You said I hope it isn't just for us. Stop. Mm-hmm. Take a breath. Come back into the roots of these teachings. All minds are joined.
0: Mm, okay, if you, if you're
2: separate or separated from anyone or anything, you're living in an optical delusion.
0: Good. There is
2: only the one mind. When you radiate out a particular flavor of energy, whether it's anger or fear or sadness or hurt, that's your contribution to the, you know, what, what they call the cosmic soup or the quantum potential or Indra's web. And what you have control over is what you generate and then radiate out. So shift the focus to that loving energy or your awareness of your true nature's love, any way you want to say it, and start strengthening and then radiating that out. That benefits mm. everyone always.
0: Mm. Good, thanks.
2: And right there is the answer to your little dilemma or question or prayer is this just selfish and just for me? Nothing you do for your own true benefit can do anything but benefit everyone and everything in existence.
0: Good.
2: So notice, you know, if you've got that fear in you that, oh, I'm afraid that I might just be doing this for a selfish reason, well, do some worksheets on the selfishness, right? What is it that I've been trained to believe uh, that makes me think it's bad or wrong to do something for my own good? I've, I've literally got a false belief in there that I can dismantle if I go and willingly look at the roots of it, and see its false nature directly, it will lose its power over me.
0: Mm.
2: But that's a good one. A lot of us have that, right? A lot of us who've been raised in various religious traditions have been led to believe that it's bad or wrong to be selfish. Now, Michael would change the word and say self-wise. Yeah, that's good. But in truth, if you're doing anything that's truly beneficial for you or anybody else that you love, it's a benefit to the entirety of existence because we're all connected. And clearly, I'm not talking about amassing money because that's just talking about the physical realm and you know Mm -hmm. believing that we are just a physical body etc we started off earlier today talking about how that's a false belief right there's a there's a, a i forget the word here but that's a a a false premise when I build anything of logic, even if it seems logical, on a false premise, it doesn't have any value because it's built on a false premise. The idea that you could do anything that's truly valuable for you and have it be only for you is a false premise because we're all connected. Mm -hmm. And clearly, we're not all connected in the way that we think of in terms of just the physical body. It's not like I can reach out right now and touch Susan Bingham. And yet, since we are not just the body and we are these energy beings and these consciousness um, hubs, we do have a very real connection to everyone and everything. And when we do something that's genuinely loving and beneficial for ourselves, it's also beneficial for others. It's also loving for others. At least that's at the core of these teachings. True or not? Well, we'll we'll see as we live out our lives. That's at the core of the teachings. Mm -hmm. So, there you have it. And we Mm -hmm. sit here on a Wednesday, near the end of our first hour. There will be another hour coming up with Michael and Jeannie. Stick around if you want to listen to that. Deep gratitude for you Susan and your calls and those of you listening and for the people who attend our support groups and um we are we're at that point where uh, I've had a couple people say they really want to go back and start the way of mastery again and I've had somebody else that does a way of mastery study group and um they had finished and as soon as they finished the group started clamoring for starting it back up again to go through it again Mm
0: so i'm all for
2: it so that's that's a possibility well it's just you know it's uh i i my experience of it is that it's easier to do that than to try and go through um and and introduce let's say the course in miracles again
0: Um,
2: but that's that's in the offing we'll see how that unfolds in the next few days or weeks um it it seems like the um, participation on the switchboard um, goes up when we're reading from something when we're having that added structure to the core group. It seems to go up even more than when we are presenting the worksheets that I started doing at the beginning of this year. So we're just trying to be of service. And if you've got any input about that, let us know. Thank you, Susan. I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love, we're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false, and I'll welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Kim. And I agree, it makes it a whole lot easier on the show to have something planned like that, especially when nobody will raise their hand or ask a question. It's easier than well, I was,
2: Well, it's, it, and for me, it's not so much about ease as it is about how many people are tuning in and what i've noticed Correct. is that that when i i say we're going to read this book or we're going to present this you know study uh, more people show up on the, on the call and so you know okay. if if that's of service and that's going to help people choose to join in then uh, maybe we'll go back to that well, all right well thank you have a wonderful show
1: thanks have a good day Welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, October the 25th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we will be continuing with the topic that we've been doing. Uh, Michael reading the article by Robert Sapolsky uh, saying that we do not have free will and that has been going awesome and we appreciate all the uh, input and the people that are participating and and uh, adding to that conversation. And so we will be continuing that today, however, uh, when Michael gets on we did get a really good question. Um, through the app, and so we want to address that first, and so I'll give him just a moment to get dialed in, and then I'll read that question. Hope everybody's having a good day. This is the middle of the week, yeah, today, tomorrow, Friday it is going by so quickly, and uh, Michael's dialing in now, and so hold this one moment. And we appreciate you all participating and being here with us. And so, Michael, do you want to start with the question that we got through the app? Please,
3: let's go for it, sweetie.
1: Okay. This young lady says, thank you, Michael, for the gift that you were giving to us. Much of it resonates with me so deeply, and yet it's a process I have to actively keep doing so When I first started, I started just listing a bunch of stuff, and immediately that afternoon, I felt like I had sea legs, and I became very sick for three days, just continuous sneezing, and my body felt feverish. I felt like it was the toxicity slash negativity working its way out. Can you confirm that someone can feel sick if we overdo the release or do too many? I'm assuming she means worksheets at once. Also, when you say we're not forgiving the other person, and yet this process is called the forgiveness process. Who or what exactly are we forgiving?
3: Thanks. All right, good questions. So my first thought will be on your last thought, and that is never, ever, ever, ever forgive anyone for anything, because you can't. The whole idea of forgiving someone letting someone else off the hook for what's happening inside of you is a Greek aberration of forgiveness. What happened is the Greeks substituted pardoning for forgiveness. So when 99.9999% of the world says forgive, they're talking about, I have pain inside of me, that's all your fault, but it's okay, I'll forgive you. I'll let you off the hook for that. So I'm saying, please, never do that. What we want to do is to reestablish the actual meaning of forgiveness to the world because we're caught in a fraud. You know, the man who's probably responsible for more deaths in history than any human being in history, Vladimir Lenin, wrote, if you want to destroy a culture, change the meaning of its words. Virtually every true principle behind human life in our Western languages especially has been degraded to its opposite. It's backward, it's inside out, it's upside down. So forgiveness, as the world understands it today, is backward, inside out, upside down. Don't do it. Now, if someone has done something, let's say really terrible, awful, nasty, wicked, you know, criminal, I might choose to be big about it and say, you know, I'm going to, let you off the hook for that. I'm going to pardon you. And pardoning can be very appropriate, especially because it tends to or helps to break the link in your mind between that person and the pain that you've projected into your brain's image of them. So pardoning can be helpful, but that's not forgiveness. If you call it forgiveness, then you'll think when you've let somebody off the hook, you've finished and there's all that pain still left inside that you were talking about detoxing because what I hear you describing when you began this work is a major healing crisis. You might want to listen to the links. In fact, I, I have your, uh, uh, your phone number. I'll text you a link uh, or a series of links to the whole story on the healing process and what healing looks like. So once you've pardoned, you've let somebody off the hook, then do your forgiveness work. Then you go inside yourself and go, oh, what is it that that horrible, terrible, nasty person, quote unquote, who maybe is a fully realized spiritual being who just came to help me and show me what I need to deal with, what is it that that person has shown me about myself? What is it that when they do what they do, my body responds with pain, suffering, disease, hatred, fear, rage, guilt, what, what is inside of me that I need to remove Now I apply forgiveness to the content of my own mind, my own emotional nature, my physiology, and my genes. So we're redefining forgiveness here. Forgiveness is a tool with which you collapse the projections of your own perceptual mind onto others and you get to directly access what's going on inside of yourself. And so That's our redefinition, or or pardon me, we're going back to the original Aramaic definition. You go back to Yeshua, and and, in all the places where we hear the Greeks translating the words, where Yeshua says, forgive them for they know not what they do, forgive your brother, that's not an accurate translation. In between those two ideas, forgive and your brother, there are always two words that the Greeks don't translate, and the two words are as to. So in Aramaic, you'd hear, forgive as to your brother. Our English equivalent would be, your brother has brought up something painful in you, so forgive as to what your brother has brought up in you. So apply forgiveness to what's going on inside of you to free yourself from that dynamic. So that's what forgiveness is actually about. So you're you're never forgiving anyone. Again, never forgive anybody for anything, but forgive continuously. Apply forgiveness to the constructs of your mind that are reflections of your own dissociated pain and free yourself from it. Now, when you step into that, and you'll remember in step two in the worksheet, I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. So once I start to step in, you know, people who live a life of denial, dissociation, projection, junk food, alcohol, drugs, caffeine, nicotine, sugar, pot, whatever it is, people who live in that world, live in a world where they're using tools with which to help them to dissociate from the content of their own minds. That is, locks those energies down into tissue. If I put an energy into my, you know, when you think of your body, mind you, as an energy system, relative to it, there are basically two qualities of energy. There's that which builds it up and strengthens it. There's that which tears it down. Tear down energy in the ancient Aramaic was called sin. It's actually an archery term. If you go back to the archery range and you're firing your, your arrow at the bullseye, and you miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper will yell, sin. You're off the mark. That's all the word means. So if I put an energy into my tissue structure that's off the mark, I'm going to bring in an energy that's going to begin the deterioration of the tissue that that energy is stored in. And what I want to be about is forgiving my sins, not the the misinterpretation of I'm going to be forgiven for my sins, no. It is an active process of removing those energetic patterns that you put into your own tissue structure that are off the mark. So when an energy that's off the mark comes into your structure, it reflects the symptoms. You get a warning sign. You know, when the neuropeptide that comes with the thought disorder hits a cell and is integrated into a cell, that cell yells out with feedback. We call them emotions that warn us of the quality of our creative process. Now, again, if you live a suppressive lifestyle, hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, drama, trauma, drugs, alcohol, junk food, food grown on dirt, you know, like the regular grocery store stuff, then those energetic patterns are shut down in you. When you start to step into willingness and you go, oh, I've got some things I need to work through, I've got some things to embrace, then those energies that have been locked into the structure now start to release. On the way out, while they've been hidden from us, while they're within, on the way out, they're going to reproduce the same symptoms as happened when they were on the way in. So the symptoms of healing are identical to the symptoms of disease. The only difference is what direction is the energy going, and as you step into deeper and deeper levels of willingness, as you step into higher and higher levels of, of, of um, empowerment, as you throw the drugs away, as you eat real food, as you become more vital, then you'll be able to go into deeper and deeper levels of what we call a healing crisis, and on a healing that I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. So on a physical level, healing looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, it looks like any kind of negative thought you've ever had and confusion. On an emotional level, it looks like any kind of negative feeling that you've ever had and depression. And so as you go through those layers, the healing process, and this is one of the reasons why it's generally speaking not very popular, is because it's not Dr. Feelgood, good. I had a gentleman who who wrote me an email or, pardon me, a text back just a week or so ago. And this is a man who is in the healing professions. And he started to do the codependence, the interdependence uh, intensive about, I don't know, I guess it's close to a year ago now. And it's a self-study. And when he took his personal code evaluation, his post-personal code evaluation, his scores on a scale of 1 to 100 uh, increased like 50, 60 points. Just monumental increases. And he's continued to do the work since then. And I'm just going to read you the, the text that he sent me of what his healing crisis looked like. So He says, hi, Michael. I've never experienced... And, you know, you can only go to this level of being able to grab out those energies, that, you know, scoop them out at this deep a level when you've developed the skill and the ability to do it. So I've never experienced such an extreme healing crisis. I can see now how people can die. I've been through a bunch. This was heart and lung crushing, such as deep, deep sorrow and sadness under extreme anger and hate. This went back so far into my father's life, who was born in Germany post-World War II, whose mom was an ex-Nazi nurse and prostitute, which my dad, at two years old, wandered around and drank out of mud puddles on the streets by himself and started to drink at age four when he was old enough to crawl up on a bar bar stool and then put put in an orphanage to be sexually abused. I went back so far. This was a whopper. I'm still in it, but on the other end. I had such an issue with him because of his abuse and watching my older brother when I was younger have a schizophrenic break in front of me due to the abuse he had never recovered. I don't want to dwell on the story, but I felt my dad's power persons and have total empathy and compassion for him now, more than I ever thought I could have. I felt I was initiated into something very big. And so if you really step in to the next depth, you learn, build the brain cells for the skills and the tools and do the work, then you move, you know, the ancient teachings talked about going from strength to strength. As you hit new levels of vitality, you'll get new opportunities to sort of scoop out those old energetic patterns literally from your genes and free yourself from them. And that's the whole objective of this work to make space in your physiology for the higher faculties, the higher sensibilities to show up in the world and to remove those energetic patterns that block the way. You know, in the Course in Miracles, the forgiveness process, they talk about leaving, as a result of the, the forgiveness process, you leave, quote, a clean and open space within your mind. And when you do, when there's nothing based in generational pain and trauma within your carbon-based memory to jump in and fill that space, then the active presence of your true human life starts to seep into your physiology. Your experience of your own physiology of your presence in the world totally and completely transforms from there. And so that's uh, that's my input on that. Jeannie, do you have any other thoughts for her?
1: No, that's excellent. And I will, I'll send her an email and tell her we addressed that at the beginning of the second hour.
3: Cool. And or she might be on the phone uh, right now. And if so, put a hand up and uh, share if that fleshes out all the corners of the answers you were looking for or if there's anything else we can do to serve you in that regard. And if not, then before we move back to the article from uh, Dr. Sapolsky, uh, do we have anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up or anything in the chat room, or do you have any other thoughts to add to where we're heading today?
1: Um, no, there are no hands up, no comments in the chat room, so I would say continue on with Sapolsky's okay, cool. um, thing on not having free will.
3: Right. One of the conversations that Jeannie and I had last night was that we were both enjoying how doing the show in this way, you know, taking an article like this and going through it from the perspective of the work, opens many more questions and usually show up on the show, and and different questions that usually show up. And, and of course, you've heard me say many, many times over the years that the most important part of the show is the questions, because when the the presence of the right frequency of question is there, then the answer has to spontaneously come if we're not stuck in carbon-based memory. And so uh, thinking that that and, and the the next thought was that perhaps we'd put out to you if there are articles of things that you're working with other than this, things in the, in this arena. That you'd like some clarification on, you'd like some support with, you'd like deeper understanding, or, or just our perspective, from the point of view of this work as we're doing with this, uh, with this article from Dr. Sapolsky, then it would be cool to submit things to us. And, uh, and I'm thinking in terms of maybe shifting the, uh, the energy of the show in that direction. We'd, we'd cover a, a broader perspective on this work and be able to bring the perspective of this work into many other arenas of thought. So that's kind of one of the things we're thinking about at this point. So if you have a a thought in that direction, push one, let's talk about it. Otherwise, we're going to go back to that article. And again, this is a uh, Stanford-trained biologist named Robert Sapolsky, and he's written a book uh, with, or, uh, with around the idea that or, or his conclusion after working with baboons for several decades is that we as human beings have no free will. And so I'm going to begin, you know, if you want to catch up with where we're at, we talked about this on Friday, we talked about it yesterday, or pardon me, Monday and Tuesday. Jeannie has set up a page, why again, forward slash free will, so on our website, and so we'll put all of these shows on that page and some of our other stress-related resources. So we've also got a page on, uh, on stress that J's put in there, uh, which has the video from Dr. Sapolsky and his work with baboons and what he showed with that's pretty powerful. I love what he does. So we're about the middle of the article. Robert Sapolsky understands that saying that people have no free will is a great way to start an argument. This is partly why he put off writing his book for years. For fellow adherents of determinism, the belief that it's impossible for a person in any situation to have acted differently than they did. Sapolsky's scientific defense of cause is welcome. Quote, who are we and what we do is ultimately the result of factors beyond our control. And because of this, this is his thesis, we are never morally responsible for our actions in the sense that would make us truly deserving of praise or blame punishment, and reward. Pardon me, that's my error. I was thinking that was Sapolsky's quote, but this is an author who agrees with him, a philosopher named Greg Caruso. Uh, And he he read early drafts of his book, and he goes on to say, I'm in agreement with Sapolsky that life without belief in free will is not only possible, but preferable. And then it's interesting they give a little bit of the history of this gentleman who who just made that statement, Caruso, he's the co director of the Justice Without Retribution Network. Now, remember one of the objectives of this work is to support people recognizing that one, we live in a world of energy, you yeah. know, let's listen to Einstein. On such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we have future for called matter is energy. Energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. So we're not in a material world. We're in an energetic world. And living in an energetic world, whatever energetic patterns we focus on, we tend to strengthen and create out of. You've heard me say it oftentimes that probably one of the greatest atrocities done to us as human beings down through the ages is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are, by nature, creators. As long as we're in the state that Sapolsky describing here, we are unconscious creators. He's right. All of those influences, all those dynamics, end up becoming what we create our lives out of. But when we choose to become conscious and we choose to remove inclinations from the carbon-based memory, from this body-mind unit, then we're freed of the influences that he's talking about that are theoretically running us. My offering is, for most people it's true. They're just automatons functioning out of whatever energetic dynamics happening be pushing them around. And they have little or no ability to actually choose between energetic patterns. Whichever is strongest tends to rule the roost. That's why with the forgiveness process, you'll confront and deal with certain issues over and over and over and over again because each time you do confront one of those issues and you apply forgiveness, you'll weaken its energetic influence a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit until you're freed of it. And that's where choice lies. When one of these energetic patterns comes up that runs me, if I fall into it and just play it out, I'm doing exactly what Sapolsky says. There's no free will in that. But if it comes up, I don't have a choice about whether it comes up. That's true. But where my free will lies is when it comes up, I have the ability, if I have the tools and the awareness, to change it. Now, it might take many, many worksheets to go through one any one particular emotional trauma in my genetic history. Sometimes you end up forgiving... 10 times a minute when energy starts to move and the healing crisis is on. And one of the things that we'll point out in moving in the direction of realizing and living your life as a creator is that you've got to be able to watch what energies you engage in. And one of the ways to observe the energetic patterns that you're locked into and can forgive and therefore get free of is by watching your words. So, this gentleman is a co-director of a group called Justice Without Retribution. Now, knowing that you're a creator, and focusing is a creative act, whatever energetic patterns you're focused in, you're going to produce in the world. Let's say that somebody stands out on the street corner, somebody who just has had all kinds of trauma in relationship, and they stand out on the street corner with a bullhorn, and they tell you what it is, as this title of this uh, organization is, what they don't want. So right on Times Square, millions of people passing by, and this person is looking for a, a, a mate, a partner that will treat them lovingly, gently, and with respect. And they get out with their bow horn and with their louded voice, they say, now look, world, I don't want anybody that's going to ever beat up on me again. Nobody's ever going to rip me off. Nobody's ever going to rage at me. I don't want anybody that's ever going to try to control me. Don't you ever hit me again. I don't ever want... Now, how many people do you suppose with that language that person's going to attract that are going to treat them lovingly, gently, and respectfully the way they want to be treated? Zero, chances are zero, because we live in a world of resonance. That kind of request, whether it's done only silently in the mind, because every, you know, by definition, remember in an energetic world, by definition, the firing of a brain cell is a movement of energy. Every movement of energy creates an energy wave, including the energies in the mind. They're measurable. You can take pictures of them. We're not going to get into that story right now, but that's another topic. So if I'm telling the world about all the things that I don't ever want to have happen to me, who do you suppose is going to show up? Who do you suppose is going to be pulled in by that conversation? Somebody is going to be twisting their mustache, rubbing their hands together, and and just so anticipating how they can bring their abuse. So listen to this gentleman. Now, uh, my offering is, he's really looking for something wonderful in the world, but now we have justice without net retribution. Excuse me, my phone just dropped out of the folder. <laughs> so, first of all, my, my offering is, most people when they talk about justice, really are not talking about justice at all. They're really talking about getting even you know we hear the yes that family wants justice what do they want i want that person to pay and go to jail and be punished for what they did so we're not looking for justice in that sense what we're looking for is a world of love gentleness and respect between people and then so first vibration that goes out with the the focal point justice i'd offer will tend to create or attract or resonate that mindset of injustice, and then without retribution. Now, if I say don't think about the color of your car, what fires in your brain cells? The color of your car. Nothing else fires. That's what fires. And people say, well, I'm not thinking about the color of my car. Well, in order to think about it, notice, or not think about it, notice, you had to think about it. It's resonance. The mind simply resonates. And whatever is in regulatory speech, in this case, in particular, retribution, this is a, a mind that's working against itself If this person wants to go out and create a world where those who commit crimes are acknowledged as people living in trauma and need to be put in warm, loving, gentle, caring environments for healing, what do you suppose the name of that organization would be? Might it be something like healing and care in the presence of love for those who've fallen away from... Human behavior. Now we've got language that's going to take us to human behavior, healing, and caring. So, what are the inclinations in the mind? And oftentimes what happens is, out of the inclinations in the mind of what we want to create, because we haven't resolved in ourselves the issues around that, we end up with things like justice without retribution. So, he goes on to say, so he's the director of this organization, and he says these energetic influences, pardon me, the offering is that these energetic influences from carbon-based memory that have us working against ourselves advocates, in this case, an, an approach to criminal activity that prioritizes future harm rather than assigning blame or antisocial behavior, or pardon me, for violent or antisocial behavior. So, Great idea. Let's stop assigning blame, but if the focus is blame, what do you suppose is going to be the underlying dynamic of the creative process? How? So how about if we create an organization, instead of going by these influences from the past that take away our power of choice, if we wake up to the place where we have choice, it's when these energetic influences come to conscious awareness that we can change them. We don't have a choice about what's in there. It's there. We don't have a choice about what fires unless we're conscious and we initiate something firing purposely, consciously. And so and this gentleman is looking at prioritizing preventing future harm. What's the focus as a creator, but creating future harm? Rather than assigning blame, what's the focus? Creating more blame. So what do we want to do? We want to gently and with respect bring people who are living in guilt and fear and blame into a space where they understand that blame, self-blame, or attracting blame from others can be healed. And do we want to prevent future harm, or do we want to create a future where active, present love is the governing energy in everyone's life? Like, human life is prevalent in all of the world. And each person, of course, with their free will, choosing to do with their human lives whatever it is that it is their purpose to do. So then this gentleman goes on to tell about his organization. So focusing on the causes of antisocial behavior, violent and antisocial behavior. This is what this organization does. They missed the note from Yeshua 2,000 years ago when he said, let thine eye be single and thy body will be filled with light. Now, you think about that thought from the, our standard meaning of words and you go, what the heck does that mean? Your, your eye's single? I've only got one eye and my body's filled with light? What, what? <laughs> Let's go to the Aramaic on that one. What, what Yeshua's doing there is, is he's telling us how creation works. And I there is perception, the constructs of your mind. Let those constructs be focused in one frequency, and then your body will be filled with light. If you talk to the physicist today, they'll tell you that matter is light energy solidified. So what he's saying there is what you focus on, you literally bring about in form. If you focus on the causes of violent and antisocial behavior, what have you intensified in the world? Forget about focusing on the, the causes of violent and antisocial behavior. Start to work into what's the healing of violent and antisocial behavior. Forget the study of disease. You know very early in my career when I decided to in head in the direction of naturopathic medicine, and I looked at, you know, uh, pharmaceutical medicine and the whole focus was on disease. And, you know, the study is disease. In in fact, there's a thing they call the second-year syndrome that they've recognized across the board, whether it's schools of psychology or schools of medicine, is that when you're studying what is aberrant, you end up suffering from the symptoms of what you're studying. So by the second year of studying, that second-year syndrome says whatever you've been studying, the diseases, tend to become manifest in your life, tend to become expressed in your form. Why? Because we're creators, and the world is energy, and the form tends to move in the energy that one is directed in. Oh, let thine eye be single. So what you'll find is a study of health and healing, the cause of health is far more profitable than the study of disease. And so rather than the causes of violent and antisocial behavior, let's look for the tools with which to heal the minds of those who are stuck in violent or antisocial behavior. And then to get rid of this idea of punishment. You know, we live on the punishment planet. Virtually everybody thinks, you know, you hear about the person, let's say, who's abused a child. What do most people want to do to the child abuser? abuse them. Well, when you realize you live in an energetic world, if the influence of abuse comes in and, it, and you are abhorred by it, it is an absolutely abhorrent thing to you, and you want to abuse, why is it you abhor that energy? Because it's in you. It's your opportunity to heal that energy in you and free yourself from it. So, and then he completes with powerful statement, allow us to adopt more humane and effective practices and policies. Now, the whole objective of this work, that piece of his descriptor, this gentleman that uh, Caruso, who's a determinist, and uh, read Sapolsky's book in advance for him, I'm in full agreement with that final piece. It's like, let's move into functioning as human beings. That's the work we're doing here. And in my experience, and I'm open to be corrected, but I've been looking, studying, working in every arena I could from one end of the world to the other. Been to China and looked at their healing practices. Been to Tibet, looked at their healing practices. Been to Greece to look into the philosophies and what happens there. Been all over the world. And my offering is there's only one consistent, persistent way to change these influences that Sapolsky is talking about so that you actually capture or bring to life your ability to have choice and therefore free will. So there are all of these influences that each time they're enforced, each time they're focused on, become strengthened. If you bring forgiveness into the the situation, then when one of these untoward energies surfaces in the mind, because you understand that it is a goal that's driving it to move in you, and you collapse that goal in the presence of love, then the ability to embrace that untoward influence, that inclination in active present love, each time you do it weakens the impetus of that energy within you until it's gone, there's just no inclination toward it, you know, I mean, it's just gone. We see that, I mean, right down to what happens in physiology. We see that with alcoholics over the years. I've had many, many people who are addicted to alcohol through this work. And it doesn't even have to be a desire to quit drinking what I've noticed is people who do this work just spontaneously move away from things like alcohol. And my offering it is because most people are, quote, unquote, driven to drink, and I don't care if it's even just a casual drink that you say, oh, I just enjoy it. You know, this is a central nervous system suppressor. It is a disease in a bottle. No questions about it. It is a central nervous system suppressor. Shuts down the central nervous system, and has all kinds of untoward effects that are just horrendous, even at minimal amounts of use. Of course, the profession that is making money off of that has "quote unquote" research that says, "Oh, uh, two or three drinks a day is good for you." Yeah, well, it's good for the bottom line of the alcohol companies. But I'll put forward the question: If if you want your uh, your components of vitamin C that is in your red wine, go get yourself some resveratrol. or it's all, uh, forget the red wine because the alcohol's not worth it. So what I've noticed is that as people forgive, they drop away the addictive habits and they turn toward things that are vitalizing. And my offering is the reason for that is because when someone is quote-unquote driven to drink, they're driven to drink... They want their central nervous system suppressed, shut down, because there's something in them that they don't want to feel and they don't want to deal with. There's some form of pain. When they use forgiveness to resolve that pain, then there's nothing they want to hide from themselves anymore. They want a fully functioning central nervous system and brain. And the influence of things like alcohol just disappear. And so my offering is that the only thing that I have found that consistently, persistently moves people toward that goal and it is an ongoing lifetime of work is actively engaging in the process of forgiveness. And so I'm going to take an intermission and take a breath here and uh, just see if we've got anybody out there in the phone queue uh, with a hand up, Janie. If uh, if this any of this has aroused anything for you thoughts, questions, answers, refinements, experiences to share then please push one. Let's have a conversation if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, if you would just dial uh, the calling number for the show which is 563 999 3581. We'll be able to see you on our control panel, and then if you push 1, it raises a hand, and Jeannie will introduce you by your area code. If you want to remain private, if I ask you who you are, you don't have to give me your accurate name. You're welcome to remain private. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody out there in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
1: No, it is all quiet on this hand. Okay,
3: great. Well, then... Now we come to the critique phase in the article about Sapolsky. There's a gentleman named Peter C. P-S-E. I assume that's probably how you pronounce it. Who's a neuroscientist. And he wrote a book in 2013 that quite uh, contradicts Sapolsky because his book is The Neural Basis of Free Will. So Sapolsky, or, or <laughs> C, uh, says, Sapolsky is, quote, a wonderful explainer of complex phenomenon. However, a person can be both brilliant and utterly wrong. So he just puts it out there, this is an error. And then he goes on to explain, or the writer of the article goes on to explain what this uh, Dartmouth uh, uh, professor has to say, a neuroscientist, Neuroactivity is highly variable, with identical inputs often resulting in non-identical responses in individuals and populations. It is more accurate to think of those inputs as imposing parameters rather than determining specific outcomes. Even if the range of potential outcomes is limited, there's simply too much variability at play to think of our behavior as predetermined. So he's saying something comes along and resonates information in you, and that in every individual, because there's different information in us, then we have different information or different understandings, and of course make different choices or different decisions. The mind comes up with its own decision, remembering that carbon-based memory is a resonance machine and will always produce or present whatever resonates the strongest in it. Actually, it just occurs to me, I'd I'd read yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I'm going to shift out of here for a minute, and um, let me just look for an article. I mentioned the CIA and its research. And I have a a big disagreement with one piece of the CIA because they're limited as well in how they're seeing this thing. If you remember, I read, this is a quote from the CIA, who were talking about how perception is a construct of the mind. People tend to think of perception as a passive process. We see, hear, smell, taste, and feel stimuli that impinge upon our senses. We think that if we are at all objective, we record what is actually there yet perception is demonstrably an active rather than passive process. It constructs, perception constructs, rather than records reality. So your reality is a construct in your mind. You live in a world of actuality quite different from the constructs of your mind, which trick you into thinking that the construct your mind is presenting is actually outside of you, and you're seeing something out there. That's always a lie. We can get to corrected perception, at which point the information that's served through the perceptual mind is accurate and in accord with what's going on in the actuality, but it still won't be the actuality. So again, so the CIA is saying it constructs rather than records reality. They go on to say, quote, perception implies understanding as well as awareness is a process of inference in which people construct their own version of reality. I'm 100% with them. That that whole statement is just right there. And then their whole thesis just falls apart. And then, actually, whenever I've read this quote, and I've read dozens of times, I've never gotten into that because it wasn't particularly relevant to the conversation. But here, what we're talking about really opens this this last line of their quote up, and uh, you know, it's always been there, but it's something that's never in the show been appropriate or or I felt inclined to uh, address this issue. But again, I'm going to read this whole last sentence. Perception implies understanding as well as awareness. It is a process of inference in which people construct their own version of reality on the basis of information. And then what they say is provided through the five senses. Now they're kind of in a line there, with Sapolsky. Okay, stimulus, whatever the response is, there it is. And they're they're saying that this thing that they're calling reality, our own version of reality, is provided is constructed on the basis of information provided through the five senses. That's totally and completely an error. No, it's not. The reality our mind constructs is a result of, yes, information coming in through the five senses, but what does that resonate in the individual? So the reality the mind constructs, is not, as they're saying in the last sentence of this, of this quote from them, is not constructed based on the five senses. It's based on what the information that comes in through the five senses resonates in the way of content in the mind, the inclinations that are there. So it's a, a, a small point, but a rather important point, to really capture and understand. And I just open once again to see if that tweaks anything for anybody. Anybody have a thought? Question, answer, idea to put into the equation at this point.
1: There are no hands up.
3: Okay. So, the gentleman from uh, Dartmouth, his book, Behave, the Biology of Humans at Their Best and Worst. Excuse me. I jumped.
1: uh, Dartmouth is uh, the neural basis of free will.
3: Right. Yeah, my my uh, my my screen just jumped on me. Give me just a second here. Ah, excuse me. It's going to take me a second here to get my screen back in line here. So this professor from Dartmouth, his book breaks down the neurochemical influences that contribute to human behaviors, analyzing the milliseconds to centuries preceding, saying that the pulling of a trigger or the suggestive touch of an arm is coming from these inclinations in the mind. And the the book we're talking about of Robert Sapolsky, by the way, is entitled... Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. If you uh, are inclined to read it, it, uh, it is an interesting uh, perspective on life. And we're looking to put his thoughts in the context of this work. And wherever there are things that don't agree, just point them out. And then it would be interesting to have a conversation with Robert uh, on this topic. It would be kind of kind of fun to do. He's done some really awesome stuff. So in his book, Sapolsky goes a step further. The article goes on to say, if it's impossible for any single neuron or any single brain to act without influence from factors beyond its control, Sapolsky argues, there can be no logical room for free will. Now, you know, for me, that would be like, so I sit at my computer, and if... My input to the computer calls up certain information. I can't do something different than that information. Here's where, to me, the free will argument falls apart, or the lack of free will. If I'm sitting at my computer, yeah, there's no choice about what comes up when I type certain keys, when I hit certain keys. But what I do with it, what I do with the end result of that, yes, there are a thousand influences. Yes, there are inputs from, you know, as he said in that uh, that earlier section, maybe somebody had a close call in an accident and their adrenaline's up and somebody else is, you know, quote-unquote in love and, you know, the hormones are running. Uh, you know, all yes, all of those influences. and And that's all what's going to bring perception into play. Now, what we're saying here is, to really function as a whole human being with choice, you've got to be out of your mind. You know, I remember how often we've talked about become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. So I step back and I observe my mind in operation, just like I look at my computer screen. And my computer screen says, because there's an, a corrupt program in it, two and two is five. Well, okay, there's no choice about what the computer's going to do. That's what's in it. But now that it's on the screen, I can say, "Ooh, there's an error," and I can go and fix that. That's exactly what forgiveness does. So he would, I, I would agree with him if we're just talking about again carbon-based memory, and and what he says would be true if the only action action possible is from the brain is from the multi-generational database reflected in constructs in the mind. But at this point, he's only talking about inclinations. Now, again, I think I talked about this yesterday. The only creature we know at this point that can do anything other than unfold what's firing within them is the human being. We are capable of a new contemplated, planned behavior rather than just bouncing off of what's in carbon based memory. So the author of the article goes on to say, you know, a big question marks like but like with everything? We have no meaningful command over our choice of careers, romantic partners, weekend plans? And Sapolsky says no. And when we wake up to who we are, we realize that we have the ability to to do something other than be subject to what's firing in brain cells. We do have the ability to originate, to put things into the system that we would think of as this body mind unit, and then direct it in a different direction than what carbon based memory would allow. So change is possible, and you know he, he talks about how remember the sea slug example that he used is that you know the the change comes from an external stimuli. My offering is that because we as human beings, in our created essence as love, have the ability to originate new information, then we can change the output of the whole system. And yesterday we talked about the higher faculties. Excuse me, somebody just dialed into my phone here, interrupted the flow. So the um, Dartmouth professor, C., who conflicts with what Sapolsky is saying is those who push the idea that we are nothing but deterministic biochemical puppets are responsible for enhancing psychological suffering and hopelessness in this, this world. Even those who believe biology limits our choices are wary of how openly we should embrace that. Saul Smilansky, a philosopher of the University of Haifa in Israel, is the author of a book called Free Will and Illusion, and he rejects the idea that we can will ourselves to transcend all genetic and environmental constraints. But if we want to live in a just society, we have to believe that we can. So he's saying, "You he just hold this fantasy and then improve things." And my offering there is that uh, this is another misunderstood take on the fact that, yes, there are all kinds of genetic and environmental influences and constraints. And if we're awake, and we talk about, you know, the original story, that this metaphor, this whole scriptural journey is simply a metaphor for how an un- human life unfolds and some of the skills that need to be acquired. We hear this story about Adam being created. And then shortly after that, it says he fell into a deep sleep. So carbon-based memory, Adam atomos, means the red clay. Yes, if that's all that you are think you are, then, yeah, you're asleep in Adam. All the influences there will run your life. This gentleman from uh, University of Haffa is saying that uh, free will is an illusion, but it's useful. He goes on to say, losing all belief in free and moral responsibility would be catastrophic. Encouraging people to do so is dangerous and even irresponsible. And then some research on this whole idea is, is quoted by the author, author. pardon me. A widely cited 2008 study found that people who read passages dismissing the idea of free will were more likely to cheat on subsequent tests. Other studies found that people who feel less control over their actions care less about making mistakes in their work. And that belief in free will leads to more aggression and less helpfulness. So there's there's a big conversation about it going on in the world. And Sapolsky discusses those concerns in his book, ultimately concluding that the effects seen in such experiments are too small and their lack of reproducibility too great to support the idea that civilization will crumble if we think we can't control our fates. The more compelling critique, Sapolsky says, is eloquently articulated in the short story, What is Expected of Us, a speculative fiction writer by a speculative fiction writer called Ted Chang. The narrator describes a new technology that convinces users that choices are predetermined and a discovery, it becomes a discovery that zaps them of their will to live. It's essential that you believe and behave as if your decisions matter, the narrator warns, even though you know they don't. The great risk of abandoning free will, Sapolsky conceives, isn't that we will want to do bad things. It's that without a personal sense of agency, we'll feel like we don't want to do anything. Goes on to say, it may be dangerous to tell people that they don't have free will, he says, the vast majority... The vast majority of the time, I really think it's a hell of a lot more humane to teach people that don't have free will. Sapolsky knows he won't persuade most of his readers. It's hard to convince people who've been harmed that the perpetrators deserve less blame because of their history of poverty. It's even harder to convince the well-off that their accomplishments deserve less praise because of their history of privilege. And he goes on to say, and it's kind of humorous, he says, if you have time to be out by all of this, you're one of the lucky ones. In other words, you're living a life of privilege uh, as, as your life is unfolding. His true hope, he says, is to increase compassion. Maybe if people understand how thoroughly an early history of trauma can rewire a brain, they can stop lusting for harsh punishments. Yeah, again, we live on the punishment plan, and it it's time to be finished with punishment. Nobody deserves punishment. If that, and I don't know directly, but if that's Sapolsky's objective here for justice, or, or pardon me, for a, a more uh, compassionate society, I'm in agreement with him. I think the punishment should be eradicated from planet Earth totally and completely. Now, does that mean someone who's engaged in criminal activity shouldn't be put in a jail cell? No, not, not in the least. You know, we have systems for protecting society, and the jail cell is one of them. But it's just the way the society creates a job for the violent in many cases. Now, I've known some wonderful jail guards. I've been in a lot of jails over the years, a lot of prisons around the country teaching. And there's been some awesome people who've stepped up the plate and really taken this work to people who really need it. I mean, I've seen murderers turn around. I've seen some pretty amazing things. And we don't have to get rid of free will to create a more compassionate society. Actually, one of the other results of forgiveness is that when we forgive, when we remove the energetic dynamics of hate and fear, hostility, vengeance, the desire for punishment of others, the inflow of human essence, aside from being, the actual state of being is love, an aspect of that state of being of, as love is compassion. It automatically becomes part of it. So maybe, Schipolsky says, if someone realizes they have a brain condition like depression or ADD, they'll stop hating themselves and stru- for struggling with tasks that seem to be easy for others. Just as previous generations thought Caesars were brought on by witchcraft, some of our current beliefs about personal responsibility may eventually be undone by scientific discovery. And my take is what Sapolsky is really saying is here is we need to get rid of this whole game of blame. We need to get out of the one world universal religion of finding somebody to blame for what's going on in us, take responsibility for the inclinations within ourselves toward any form of violence and learn to forgive those things. He says we're machines, exceptional in our ability to perceive our own experiences and feel emotions about them. It's pointless to hate a machine for its failures. There's only one last thread they says they can't resolve. It is logically indefensible, ludicrous, meaningless to believe that something good can happen to a machine, he writes. Nonetheless, I'm certain that it is good if people feel less pain and more happiness my offering would be, rather than taking away free will, the solution lies in, here, here's a tool called forgiveness. Get rid of those energetic inclinations within you that cause you pain and suffering. There's your free will. You can choose to do that. Now, sadly, because those inclinations in many people are so strong, after they do their first worksheet and they start looking at what's in there and what they need to deal with, they turn to jail and run away. And that, unfortunately, is sometimes just part of the process. So that's uh, that's our completion, and unless we have maybe questions that uh, that come up tomorrow, that's the completion of uh, covering this article from uh, uh, Robert Sapolsky, a uh, professor of uh, biology at uh, Stanford University. If you have an article that you'd like us to review in the context of this work, as we've done here, drop Jeannie a note, J-E-A-N-I-E, at org appreciate you being with us. Have a blessed one. Take care. Bye-bye.